Welcome to WVU Marketing Horizons, hosted by Ruth Stevens and Cindy Greenhouse. We are grateful to WVU, who offers renowned online master's degree programs in marketing communications, and this series is presented by the Reed College of Media as part of their ongoing marketing series. Thank you for joining us today. Cindy, I am so happy today to bring us an expert from Montreal to talk Ooh. about healthcare marketing today. I got acquainted with J.F. Deneau through using some of his recorded lectures in my classes, and he's really articulate on various marketing subjects. And it turns out that his specialty is healthcare, and he's agreed to come on our show and talk about what's going on in the field and where it's headed. He's worked in healthcare and life science marketing for 20 years, and he has his own consultancy, mm. and he's got lots of big name clients and pharma and medical devices. He's written a couple of books on the subject, and he's working on a third. We should ask him about that. And Cindy, given your medical background and your Canadian background, won't <laughs> you be pleased to meet him? Absolutely. <laughs> Good. Well, let's welcome JF. Thank you for joining us. Oh, happy to be here. It's it's a cool experience. Terrific. So it's how about a pleasure I, to meet you? Yeah, thank you. So I'm gonna pose the first question, which reveals my ignorance of this field. I hear a lot about healthcare marketing, life sciences marketing, pharma marketing, medical device marketing. And there's all kinds of complexity in there in my mind. And I'm wondering, what's a good way to categorize this? Do you have a taxonomy or something that can explain what medical-related marketing is all about? Yeah, so I, I think we can kind of split these into two broad categories. So when we talk about healthcare marketing, we're mostly talking about care providers. So in, in that space, it's mostly the hospitals, the clinics, the nursing homes, physiotherapists, dentists. So they're, they're the people that are providing care directly to a patient. Whereas when we look at life sciences, it's it's a little broader category and it, it'll vary from, you know, from one person to another. From my perspective, life sciences includes all companies that are, you know, developing these technologies, be it drugs or medical devices, for the care of the patient. So, so it will include the pharmaceutical companies, the biotech, the medtech, digital therapeutics, digital health. Some people will even include nutraceutical companies in that space of saying, you know, they are developing products that enhance the health of the patient. So the the people in the healthcare industry kind of use what the life science industry produces for them to take care of the patient. Ah, oh, great. Oh. So if I heard that right, healthcare marketing is more B2C, or in this case, we'd say business, you know, business to patient, so B2C related. And life sciences, it would be more B2B, traditional B2B, where it's companies marketing to companies. So, so from a broad, 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 broad perspective, yes. But one of the complexities we have in, in this space is that the end users is not always the payer, right? 
So we have this whole mm. chain of different people interacting in this final purchasing decision. We, we have the patient, we have the doctor, we have the nurse, we have the hospital or the healthcare facility itself, we have the insurer, and uh, we have hybrid systems where you have both public and private insurer. So when a company goes to market in that space, there is a whole strategic decision of saying, you know, who will I be targeting a primarily? Is it going to be paid something that's going to be paid by the patient itself? Or is it something that's going to be paid by the insurer? So I'm going to go get a reimbursement code. I'm going to go get conversation. Is it the doctor or the nurse that influences you know, the choice? Well, who am I going to talk to? So there is the patient journey and the client journey is very important in that space to kind of determine who are the inflection points in this decisions. Uh, and it can be different from one product to another. Mm, that's interesting. So what are the big issues that are vexing marketers today in both of these spaces, healthcare and life sciences? So, so, so one broad you know, issue that we've been kind of struggling with, and that one has been going on for a while, is you know, making cost-based decisions versus value-based decisions. So for, for the longest, for, for a long time, a lot of the decisions that were made in healthcare were cost-based. You know, what is the product that is the least expensive, the drug that is the least expensive? And there's been a lot of push, both from a marketing and from a health perspective of saying, you know, these decisions should be made from a value-based perspective. You know, this drug might cost a little bit more, but the quality of life is significantly more, or the recovery per period is shorter. This device costs more, but increases mobility. So that has been one of the challenges of when you're talking to some of these decision makers of, you know, of changing a little bit of how these, you know, technologies are evaluated. Are you also seeing it in terms of positioning and messaging is that changing along with it to go from price and cost so in the market marketers are talking more about value outcome based so a lot of the companies that i work with are innovators and they're that's the message that they push they they innovate they kind of change the gold standard and so for them it's very important to have this message of being able to demonstrate that this new device, yes, it costs a little more, but look at how much the patient is improving or you're able to do remote patient monitoring or you're able to do this and that. So, so from the perspective of the companies that I've been working for, this has been a very important push in, in getting those healthcare systems to you know, be able to take into account that this, not, let's not just talk about costs, let's talk about how we're improving you know, human health. And then the patient's health. Right. So, of course, the data analyst and me and, and, and you know, Ruth and I coming from a um, direct response performance-based background are always looking at, you know, what's the ROI and how do we convince or um, let the CFOs and, and the decision makers know that there's a, a positive impact on the bottom line associated with our marketing efforts. So if we're going more outcome or quality of life, but it costs more, what's the argument or the positioning that marketers have to take to get their 
marketing budgets approved if it's not going to necessarily turn into uh, more profit? So sometimes you have to take the, the different direction of saying maybe it's not necessarily more profit, but it's going to be more profit in the line. So for example, you're going to be able to see more patients. So your profit per patient might go down, but you are increasing your velocity oh. of how many patients you're able to treat or how many patients you're able to see. So you're kind of uh, benefiting more people. And so you have to stop looking at it from a single individual. So that's one of the, the approaches that people take. The other, the other approach that's sometimes taken is saying, you know, for example, this technology will enable remote patient monitoring. So in, any, in other words, you're getting that patient, you know, back home quicker. You're keeping your head on, uh, your, your, your eyes and, and on, on that patient. So, so I've seen hospitals in the U.S. that, you know, for example, the, it's a network of six, seven hospitals. And in the main hospital, they have a room dedicated to remote patient monitoring where they have, you know, dozens of monitor and they have a person dedicated to look at all the different people who have been moved back home. When they're moved back home, the room is available to treat somebody else. So they, mm, exactly. cost savings. So the conversation becomes, you know, how do we, I, I think it's really a question of increasing velocity and increasing the number of patients that you're able to take care of. Mm, that's so, I, I think those institutions would be easily able to see that larger benefit or the, the ROI in, in the, the larger sense of hospital mm -hmm. operations. It is, it is sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, the, the resistant parts because comes into, you know, you're changing a lot of how you're taking care of patients. So you're changing, you know, processes of, you know, having, you know, that patient released back in the wild and then, you know, having it moved to somebody else's responsibility. So now it's the main office that is taking care of it. So, so sometimes there is a lot of resistance in how these technologies are applied. Also, initial cost is always, mm. you know, a question of, you know, you're going to have to set up this room or you're going to have to have somebody who's dedicated to that. So that person, you're going to have to have a nurse dedicated to monitoring those 20 patients you know so so there are changes in processes changes into costing some hospitals are able to do that jump some hospitals sometimes are a little bit more conservatives and are more of a wait and see and let's see case studies of other hospitals uh so that's why you know even sometimes you even if you're able to do a clear demonstration it's not always easy due to the conservative natures of some of these institutions Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, we're hearing a lot about um, health tech, med tech, um, Internet of Things, you know, the tremendous um, evolution of technology in the space, which has helped us as patients and helps, you know, to inform our, our providers, uh, healthcare providers. Uh, what kind of emerging technologies are you seeing for marketing that, that so we should know about? One of the things in terms of technology or, you know, how marketing has changed is, I think it's around social media. So, you know, the, the sector has been traditionally a little slower to adopt social media and as part of its marketing mix. And I, I think it's due to this, you know, we have a huge advertising regulatory framework around us in this space. And so we are 
we move a little bit slower right. the time that we adapt to these type of technologies. So while I've seen some very nice examples on social media, I remember reading an article where a, a, a person in a hospital did his journey. He, he was in PR, but his, his journey as a patient from diagnostic to the operation to the post-op, you know, and he posted that on Twitter and he did, he even did his operation on, on Twitch, you know, he, she, so he kind of included, you know, so oh these kind of examples are very far in between. Um, and I think hmm. one of the issues is we are an industry that is very, you know, word to mouth, trust-based. You know, we ask our parents, we ask our friends about, you know, mm -hmm. I'm going to, I need this type of device. I need, I'm going in for this type of operations or I'm, I'm going this, what can you recommend? And we, I, I think it's called the social proof of, you know, you, you see something where it has 400 good right. reviews. Are those real? And how, and for healthcare, that's even more important mm. to how can I demonstrate, you know, this social proof? And, and I can utilize social media effectively by, you know, convincing people that these are, you know, real reviews, these are real patients, et cetera. So everything has been moving a little bit more slowly because we need a different kind of framework and different way to kind of apply these, uh, these new technologies for the space. Interesting. So have they come up with new uh, social channels or environments where they can demonstrate that trustworthiness. So what, I, what I've seen in some situations is, you know, there, there, I've seen two things. So I've seen big pharma, what they do is that they set up these closed spaces and they do a lot of monitoring into them. So they don't do like, for example, an open Facebook group and everybody kind of go in, but the, the, these very closed knit groups and they do a lot of monitoring to make sure that everything that's being, because they are responsible, right? So if a patient says you should do this with your device and you're going off label, you know, they, they can have an official channel where people are <laughs> suggesting take your drugs for this instead of that, you know? So, so, there, so you need a heavy monitoring. Yeah. So, so I've seen mm. these situations where groups are set up, they're closed and they're very heavily monitored. So, so mommy, daddy is really checking great. what the kids are doing <laughs> with their products. Um, <laughs> the other thing that I've seen is that, you know, you kind of fall back to more traditional stuff. So for example, you, you might have, you know, social media around, you know, what your product is great, but then you put, for example, traditional ambassadors that people can contact and call, call up. So for example, they'll say, you know, our, new drug is really good. It's been used in these, these situations. And that if you're interested to talk to a nurse that has been using our product in, in a real environment, uh, tell us which region you're in and we'll tell you who's our local ambassador. So you can talk from voice directly to that person. So, you think, so, so it's kind of a little heavy handed, a little traditional. Mm, and that I sounds think like what we have to do because of how the industry is structured, sorry. Those both sound like very creative and 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 also regulatory compliant methods. I'm I'm excited to hear about both of those. We could maybe even apply some of that thinking in non-regulated categories, Cindy. I'm thinking. 
Yeah. So you have a trusted advisor you're mm. using, as you call them, ambassadors, but, you know, trusted advisors that are uh, healthcare. And then in the group environment, you know, the walled garden group, you have like-minded individuals who can share their experiences. Um, if the healthcare providers are the sponsoring group that's creating this environment, there is um, a sense that they are supportive, they're supportive of the treatment protocols, you're supportive of those patients. So, you know, it it, it works both ways. I think that's um, a really good use of social media. Mm. And, and I, you know, my perspective is as a patient, you know, I wouldn't mind if my healthcare provider um, or the drug company facilitated my ability to engage with other like-minded people who have a similar condition or who yep. are, you know, trying out a device. And the other thing I'm seeing JF, and I wondered how, if you have a point of view on it is the use of YouTube extensively for medical devices, how they're having how to's with patients actually showing how to use the devices of tons of videos where they're saying, especially with, um, you see it with diabetes and how to use the insulin pumps. You're seeing it with cardiology, with these EKG, remote EKG monitoring. So you can go and find out all this how to's and their real patients, you know, is this helpful from a marketing standpoint? Is this a marketing avenue or do you see this more like manufacturers making well, it easier I, for I think compliance? It's part of this kind of trend we have on YouTube with the unboxings and people like kind of open their coffee machines and show everybody. And it, it, it's part of that dynamic for, for <laughs> pharma companies, for medical device companies, mostly the, the, the challenge is to develop, you know, trustworthy channel, uh, channels or trustworthy ambassadors so when you have some some things happening in a wild like this you have to keep an eye on this so the person is not you know doing a mistake during their unboxing or their video and you have to so so it, it is a plus but it's also a, a cost in terms of monitoring because if that person is not officially affiliated you know and they start talking about something and it's not, you know, within the framework of, you know, what you got your approval for. And they say, it's really good for, for, for blood monitoring, but I use it on my dog. <laughs> and then you're like, what, what's going on? What, what, what's going on with my device here? <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> so, so exactly. Cut. So, so we've seen this a lot and we've seen yeah. in, in many spaces, we've seen it directed to consumers and, and I've seen what you mentioned also directed, for example, for mm -hmm. doctors. So companies will prepare, you know, videos for doctors of saying, you know, here it is, I am using it on a patient, here I am using it in a real setting as a way to kind of, you know, demonstrate their device and, and as part of this way to get traction and interest into their device. So YouTube is definitely a place, but it's also, cool. you know, because it's kind of this far west. It also becomes, you know, a, a potential liability. So you have to be really close to what's happening there. Mm. Yeah, makes sense. So this is, seems like a you, you've said this, everything is kind of slow moving for various reasons, but it seems like a lot of change is going along in, in the healthcare and life sciences marketing field. What Do you have any idea of what's coming along down the pike, things that we can prepare for in the future of healthcare well, I, I and life sciences marketing? Uh, along. 
and as you say, it's moving rapidly, but I think it's being driven by the consumers themselves, right? And if pharma didn't go on Facebook and do these mm. walled groups, then the patients would be doing them by themselves. If they didn't go on YouTube, then they'd be, you know, kind of be that there be what there be there and they'd be kind of stuck with it. So, so even though they are moving forward, I think they are moving forward kind of by necessity in, in a sense. What I think hmm. we might see, you know, in the future, I, I think there's a lot of work being done also in, you know, automating customer interactions. That's another space that we've seen, you know, these AI chatbots. Hmm. And there's been some work both from Ooh. AI chatbots in terms of customer experience, customer support. There's been some experiments around these for diagnostic purposes as well. But what what, what hmm. does, this brings us is that I, I feel we're going towards kind of a consumerization of healthcare. You know, as we move forward, you know, the customer huh. is taking more and more charge or trying to take more and more charge of his own health. And, and we've seen this, like, for example, yeah. when a doctor is welcoming a patient, the patient comes in with a stack of WebMD that they kind of printed out. And they're like, I think I have cancer. <laughs> And, and as we're seeing more and more, yeah. we're seeing patients take charge of their health. And, and we go back to this authentic, yeah. authenticity of information of trying to be make sure that everything is true, everything is right. And we're not just, you know, getting, you know, the first web page that we kind of dragged onto. Um, so that's what we see. So what does that mean for marketers, do you think? Well, I think for marketers is... Uh, I think we loop back to the beginning of your first question of B2B versus B2C. Whereas, you know, traditionally B2C wasn't, you know, always the primary, you know, vector. But as consumers get more involved in the space, they get more educated. And I think COVID accelerated this, right? For the yeah. few years of COVID, we went through, uh, you know, everybody kind of trying to figure out and be a scientist and trying to figure out what these yeah. studies mean and what, what's going on. The, the patient has, you know, kind of leapt ahead and tried to figure out a little bit more what's going on. And so I think as we go forward, having conversations with patients, with the, with the end users, social media, through walled discussions or, you know, official channels is going to mm -hmm. be increasingly important, even though they're not always the final decision makers, they're going to be more and more informed. So at least they're going to be part of the conversation. Yeah, that's a great point. That's great. Well, this has been so interesting, JF. Thank you for joining us and Ruth for bringing JF onto our, our show. It does seem like we have a opportunity here, both as marketers and as um, patients or end users to have a better engaged and informed uh, relationship with, in both life sciences. Fascinating. And Thank you so much, JF. Well, it's my pleasure. It went really fast. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> Ruth, thank you so much for having JF join us. That was fantastic. Learned a lot. And, you know, we learned a lot and healthcare marketing always seems a bit behind like a curtain, <laughs> a little black box for those of us who don't engage mm. in it, right? But what he described reminded me so much of what you and I do 
all the time, and many of our listeners do all the time, which B2B, is B2B exactly. Yeah, with the, you know the buying groups, with the specifiers, the influencers, and they all have different agendas, and they take a long time to make a decision. <laughs> Yeah, you know, the end user often is the person that you have the least amount of influence over, right? You said you have your insurance companies, which could be the decision makers. Right. You have your specifiers, which are the doctors or the healthcare we providers. We love that kind of you have other complexity, don't we, Cindy? You and I. <laughs> I do. You know, I mean, I think that's what makes marketing mm. fun is that when you can really wrap your head around it. And in this case, the end user is the patient. And it's even more complicated because the... they have the regulatory stuff to worry about looking mm-hmm. over their shoulders. And the insurance decision-making is new to me anyway. I, I, I would be interested in learning how to include that in a marketing program, that angle in a marketing program. So maybe we should go get right. jobs in this category, Cindy. Well, or maybe we should have a future episode on the insurance angle and insurance marketing, because clearly they are gatekeepers. As we know, it's sort of like specifiers in highly regulated industries and financial services. You know, you can't run a mock of FINRA, you can't run a mock of the in in Medicare with the, the individuals that do the rules and legislation. So it's similar here. And I I also Um, loved how he took that into the direction of how you communicate value to this complex set of buyers who have been slow to move and, and, and have trouble when the, the, the payoff, the outcome is sometimes hard to see. So his lovely point about making the messaging not about cost-based decision-making, but about value-based decisions. Instead of looking for the cheapest drug, let's look for the one that uh, gives the fastest recovery. That means fewer hospital nights, so you have savings there, and maybe, I don't know, Mm -hmm. uh, recidivism rates or whatever they're called in the healthcare world. And that makes marketing challenge that I think would really be fun to tackle where you're, it's about, about positioning and painting a picture of the, the, the bigger environment that these decision makes decisions are being made in. Um, Right. We're talking about quality of life as opposed to cheaper, faster, cheaper. And quality of life is an awful lot like the messaging we'll do in other industries Mm. around peace of mind. You know, how you go away from cost and price to this will give you greater peace of mind. This will improve your quality of life, which increases patient satisfaction. I really like that whole conversation. And then it, of course, was like... Hmm, but what's the ROI aspect of it for the institution, right? Or and so the point he made mm. about velocity and how you're not looking to profit on the individual transaction in this case, which is you know buy this drug or the cost of this visit, but you're looking at savings maybe over the 
aggregated remote mm-hmm. monitoring, right? So you're not having as much cost. Or in this case, when you talked about velocity and, you know, more mm-hmm. is more, right? You make less money on the individual, but you're making more overall in the aggregate through velocity. A very interesting dynamic. Right. And a, a complex, but very Im- impactful message can can be crafted out of that. I also loved how he talked about essentially patient empowerment and how it's almost like the patients are dragging these big institutions into the 20th century, no, 21st century, and (laughs) taking charge of their own health and driving their doctors crazy by, you know, reading a lot on the internet that gets them not only educated, but also probably scared and alarmed. But yeah, and he, he said they're informed, they're more informed, they're more engaged, just like we are in so many other parts of our lives, right? We say that the, the customer is taking, you know, mm-hmm. we're in the driver's seat now. So now we are more and more in the driver's seat on our uh, health care than ever before. And that's led these institutions maybe to some right. extent kicking that's and what screaming I was into the contemporary like forms social of communication. Media and YouTube, um, man, weren't those great examples he gave about how within their complex environment, they've been able to come up with some approaches on social media that make sense for them, like closed spaces where they can monitor mm-hmm. the conversation carefully. Uh, you see these invitation-only Facebook groups all over the place, right? Communities where the the patients and whoever else is involved can get the conversations going, but under the watchful eye of the providers who are or the suppliers who can make sure that no misinformation mm-hmm. is being shared. Well, and you know how they've caught on to word of mouth combined Mm. with social proof and social proof married with a trustworthy advisor. You know, we all kind of laughed at those commercials where they had, you know, the actor and just slap a white coat on the actor. And suddenly we're supposed to think they're a credible resource for us. Like Marcus was in the old days. And now we're patients, and consumers understand that to be trustworthy and to have the credibility, they have to be real healthcare providers, right? Yes. He was talking about nurses in these dialogues and in these social media environments that credibility and transparency are so key to, it's okay to be in social media, but they have yeah. to be a different kind of influence. Right. And right? that they're training their own ambassadors to be available for inbound calling. And there seems some really clever techniques to help build and develop this, you know, trustworthy channels is what he was talking about. You know, one thing mm-hmm. we didn't get a chance to ask him about, Cindy, was the the likelihood that healthcare marketing, life sciences marketing is a good career for students. But I'm guessing he would have said, a great career. What do you think? 
I'd say yes, enthusiastically. And you said that he speaks in your classes. So I'm sure you've had very enthusiastic response. Yes, from indeed. But he was talking about general marketing subjects. The healthcare angle didn't actually come up. Yeah. Ah, well, I think with healthcare now having to hop on the mm. patient first bandwagon, any patient is a potential customer and all of our students could embrace many of the concepts we just learned from JF. It'd be a great career. And isn't it a wonderful coincidence that WVU is actually developing some special education in this it, field? There is. There is. They should check it out. Thanks for a great program today, Cindy. Thank you, Ruth. You've been listening to WVU Marketing Horizons, hosted by Ruth Stevens and Cindy Greenglass. Please be sure to visit go.wvu.edu slash mctoday to view our upcoming conversations, listen to previous discussions, and subscribe to receive